0: The 2020 U.S. election is in less than two weeks, and people across the United States are preparing in their own ways. Listen up, new guidelines. Someone upstairs pull the emergency cord. Trump's numbers are tanking. The cast of the new American play, Trolls, is rehearsing.
1: So we're pulling up the big guns.
0: Their office drama, which number. people can big watch number. online, takes place in a Russian internet factory in 2016. And the employees' main jobs are to sway the US election. We've got some tweets pre-written, look on your Slack channel, load them up and send. The play's tongue-in-cheek humor works because it builds in our collective imaginations and feels just a step away from reality. Don't even worry about username, we're going for volume. Post, in fact, post, most post, of the posts post. featured in the play are real tweets by real internet trolls in 2016. <laughs> came through, and they came through Awful. in the way they said. They WikiLeaks would. Reviews not in the, Trump Trump in the high camp
1: Trump was other... posting fake WikiLeaks sexist Trump job ads on the on Soros Hillary
0: Clinton's reveals that had had into a and a a point. Point. messages like the ones in these tweets five aren't five going anywhere. Explicit interview, Trump fascism, Putin, and WikiLeaks: The Anatomy of a Liberal Nervous Breakdown. Trolls, the play, only premiered this week. It goes to show that Russian meddling has stayed on people's minds consistently throughout the past four years. There's evidence that Russian troll factories are back to work, slyly spreading disinformation and contributing to polarization in the U.S. But this time around, it's less clear what they hope to get out of this work. Does Russia want another four years of Trump? Were the last four worth the effort? And what can people in the U.S. do to protect themselves from disinformation campaigns? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. In this case, it seems, it might be best to look abroad for the answers. To an analyst living much closer to Russia.
1: My name is Agnieszka Lugucka. I work at Polish Institute of International Affairs. Poland is no
0: stranger to Russia's disinformation campaigns, and Professor Lugucka researches them.
1: I started to be more concerned on security issues so that followed me to Russia itself, as it's our Polish neighbour.
0: She also lived in Moscow for a while when she was younger and you know you never leave russia <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> when we can say like this so let's delve right into this topic there is this satire video that's making the rounds in russia and outside which is how i saw it it shows us president donald trump losing the us election and then getting a job at russia today or rt which is funded by the russian government
1: It was a very nice offer from President Putin. And I could have said, no, thank you. Or I could have said, thank you. And I said, I'll take it.
0: RT actually made the video. It's in English and it's in Russian.
1: Thank you, Susan, very much for being here. It's Nikki. Name whatever you want to name. Have you seen it? What do you make of it? Yes, I've seen it and I think that it's a masterwork, especially when it comes to deep fake because you really need to focus on his face. Actor is not Donald Trump, but he speaks like him, he looks like him. This video is comedy and I think that Russians would like to see him as a comedian, not as a, you know, strong leader anymore.
0: It's actually a very well-produced and pretty funny video. Yes. But it does feel like they're they're mocking the U.S. president. They're poking fun. The general public view seems to be that Russia and Trump support each other. So how
1: does this play into that landscape? You know, I think that the attitude toward Trump was changing during his presidency. At the beginning, there was a big euphoria that he got elected, and actually Russians were pretty surprised by this. Well, (laughs) it worked what we did, but actually afterward they recognized that the president, no matter if it's Trump or other uh, candidate, cannot do what they wanted.
0: What she's saying is that the U.S. president can't act unilaterally on a lot of policy changes that Russia would have liked to see, like withdrawing sanctions, for example.
1: And actually, uh, during Trump presidency, because of other things, like Congress and other players, the relations between Russia and U.S. worsened to the level I don't remember since I'm dealing with Russia foreign policy.
0: Can you give us examples of the U.S. and Russian relationship deteriorating under this current administration?
1: Yes, from my perspective from outside, I see that the check and balance in U.S. worked in some way when it comes to relations to Russia. In Poland, we had a fear that the transactional attitude from Trump will occur in the security sphere, that Trump will have a deal with Putin and everything will go in a very bad direction from our security perspective.
0: Trump has threatened to cut defense spending in Europe and withdraw troops. But he hasn't yet done so on a significant scale. And in other ways, U.S. foreign policy upheld by Congress has been hard on President Vladimir Putin. They approved lethal arms sales to Ukraine, they have appointed a very anti-Russian U.N. ambassador, and now they're butting heads in Syria.
1: The Treasury Department imposed new sanctions on seven Russian oligarchs, 17 Russian officials, and 12 Russian companies. The list takes direct aim at Russian President Vladimir Putin's inner circle.
0: The Russians have come to understand that there's an element of unpredictability, clearly, about what President Trump does. And when they interfered in the 2016 election, I'm not quite sure they really understood what they would be getting into with that.
1: Under Trump administration, you had like 46 sanctions on Russia. They clashed their interest in Syria, in Libya, in Ukraine. But I would also pick your example about RT. In 2018, Americans forced RT and Sputnik, the governmental uh, Russian media outlet, they forced them to register as a foreign agents, saying that You should be aware that what they are doing or they are saying, it's not the truth. It's something that you need to avoid. So I think that RT now is making a bit, uh, you know, (laughs) contradiction to Trump. Like taking revenge. Because also of American authorities' attitude toward them in US.
0: Do you think Russian officials want the U.S. election to go a certain way? And if so, which way do they want it to go?
1: Actually, I think that they were more concerned about previous elections. But now I think that they don't believe in change, change for them for better.
0: She says Trump is the more pro-Russian candidate, but he hasn't been able to stop other branches of the government from making and upholding policies that hurt Russia.
1: That's why they follow uh, these presidential elections not as a chance for change, but a chance to show their own people, look, what is going on there with democracy, the West, how bad it is. You can choose. Alternative is there. If you really wish to go there, please do. But still, we are a stable country. We are having, like, our conservative values. So stay here and work, pay taxes.
0: So, according to Professor Lugukska, Russia doesn't have as big a stake in this year's U.S. election as it did in 2016. She's not the only one saying that. We've heard it from a whole host of Russia analysts and researchers. But at the same time, U.S. officials and social media sites in the U.S. keep warning that Russia is still meddling. U.S. intelligence officials are warning of a new election interference threat, and it's coming from the same source as 2016, Russia. Facebook says it has shut down attempts from Russia and Iran to interfere with the 2020 elections. Just like in 2016,
1: Russian operatives were creating fake personas designed to look like ordinary Americans, and some of them were in swing states.
0: If Russia doesn't particularly care about the race between President Trump and Vice President Joe Biden, then why is it still
1: interfering? The first thing is like weakening the West. I know that this may be a slogan, (laughs) but they are undermining the society's structure. What people are talking about, what they really want, and who they want to have as a leader. That's why they are attacking uh, more during the elections or any kind of disturbance. So
0: Professor Lugukska thinks Russia's interference this time is less focused on changing U.S. foreign policy and more focused on just diminishing U.S. power and
1: influence broadly. Their goal, she says, is... When you compare Russia and U.S., U.S. will be weaker than Russia itself. You can make yourself stronger when your rival is getting weaker.
0: She says soft power is another motivator.
1: For example, they are looking for groups in U.S. that can gain some sympathy towards Russia, like experts, scientists, like normal people. (laughs) I'm a scientist so I'm a bit normal, but (laughs) still, uh, you know what I mean. The, The ordinary people, okay. Why? Because experts write reports and they are influential enough to, for example, have idea that let's lift sanctions on Russia. Why we cannot talk with Russia? Why we cannot deal with Russia? Let's make another round of negotiations with Russia. They are not so bad or China is worse, so let's talk with Russia. So they're not only like playing with negative uh, uh, instruments, but also with the positive messages.
0: So we've established that Russia is meddling in the 2020 election. We've talked about why, to try and change public opinion about Russia, and also sow discord and chaos to weaken a political rival. Now the question is, how is Russia doing it? Even as the Soviet Union, Moscow used what it called active measures to undermine its enemies.
1: This is the complex offensive actions which are connected with four elements. Disinformation, deception, sabotage and, of course, espionage. It was like invention from the Cold War, active measures, but they are still working. And of course, with technology, the active
0: measures have gotten a significant
1: upgrade. They are using bots. So they are whipping up disputes in U.S. For example, probably everyone knows what its troll factor is.
0: True. That's why we have satires like
1: the online play you heard earlier. But just in case. You can imagine a factory where people are sitting and only communicating by Facebook, by WhatsApp, by Twitter, in many languages. So they are paid for making noise, making dispute uh, and making hate. When I was talking with my colleagues who are dealing with that kind of people, they said that in 2014, those trolls were putting information to social media about Ukraine, that it's a failure state, and so on. After that, we had 2016, when they trying to polarize the American society on problems that they identified at that moment. But now, there is no message, one message. Mm -hmm. There are lots of messages. She's saying in the past, Russia
0: had specific messages to spread, specific goals to achieve with their propaganda. This year, their disinformation push in the U.S. is more abstract. It's all about polarization.
1: Left, uh, right, it doesn't matter. They are only concentrated on how to make you upset just to divide people between themselves, between neighbors, between black and white people, between, I don't know, LGBT and let's say conservative, between church people who believe and people who don't believe. It doesn't matter. The foreign policy doesn't matter anymore. The matters uh, something deep inside our psychological structure. And that's, for me, it's very dangerous because actually they already undermined a lots of things that are important for democracy, meaning trust to the public institutions, trust to the state. And now they are going deeper.
0: It sounds so simplistic, but yet also so sophisticated, especially because, as you say, It seems to be working. Discord has been sown. And it's not just here in the U.S. that we're seeing remnants of that. Have we seen this strategy used in Europe over the past decade?
1: Definitely. (laughs) I mean, in Europe, uh, the first victim was Estonia in 2007. In the morning of the 27th of April 2007, Estonia fell victim to a cyber attack of a scale and sophistication never seen before. There was a cyber war because russians blocked uh, their state's website after that we had georgia russia war and that moment also were examples of espionage and blocking website of state institutions but Maybe modern examples are more understandable. We had uh, uh, elections to the European Parliament. There are evidence that Russians were meddling with it. The European Commission found a continued and sustained disinformation activity by Russian sources aiming to suppress turnout and influence voter preferences. We had, uh, we as Europeans, (laughs) had French presidency elections and we know that there were trying to also act there. Cyber security experts claiming the Russians could be the culprits behind the hacking of French election frontrunner Emmanuel Macron. The alleged hackers targeted the Macron campaign in an effort to destroy a pro-West, pro-European candidate. And we had Brexit and there are evidence that Russians were trying to influence the Brexit process as well.
0: Russia is interfering, and it is doing so to try and undermine public confidence in political institutions and in the mainstream media in Western countries, and we have to regard the spread of fake news propagated by fake accounts across Twitter and Facebook in this way.
1: And many, many others. Poland is also a victim of the Russian narrative and disinformation. We've heard from Putin himself that Poland started Second World War. So there are a lot of examples of disinformation and broader active measures uh, in Europe as well, and maybe more.
0: (laughs) This is so fascinating. As I hear you kind of list the ways that we see it happening, I wonder, is this a Russian domain thing? Or do we see this happening with other countries? Are there
1: actors in the United States who behave the same way? With one word, yes. (laughs) There are many, many actors of disinformation. And I would say that the most problematic thing for me as a researcher is that nowadays I observe the domestic disinformation, even bigger problem than interference from outside.
0: Domestic disinformation, like when politicians or other people in power post blatant lies or falsified videos on their social media channels, as if they're true.
1: So it is a big issue for our nowadays societies, but we still have a weapon thinking, critically thinking. There is a researchers who are saying that you should not only follow the pandemic rules that you need to keep social distance but also information distance that if you were re- really here or read something very dramatic, if something brings us lots of emotion, keep distance.
0: That sounds like great advice for a society that is trying to fight this kind of disinformation. Is there anything else? other recommendations that you give your students or to people when you write papers on how you counter disinformation.
1: Yes, there are. I follow people that I know (laughs) uh, personally or people who I trust. I mean, experts that I trust. And this is what I do, just a small step But more broader, be critical. For example, the best example uh, of the country that uh, deals with, with disinformation is Finland. And they read lots of books. That's, that's the first thing. It's awesome. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's That's pretty awesome. And at school, they're learning how to find fake news. I don't like this word because it's too politicized. They have a classes around fake news, how to deal with the trolls, how to deal with the false information that goes all around you. And what so, is- a 21st
0: century media literacy course—that's what it sounds like.
1: Yes, yes, but in the primary school, okay, we have it on—we <laughs> have it on our university uh, we, that kind of programs or courses. But in primary school, it's something that we don't have. So education, critical thinking and uh, knowledge is a, is a key also for this. And also, I think that we need to be more, uh, we need to know what kind of politicians we would like to have. We need to be more critical to our politicians and other people who are responsible for our health, our military things and everything, because we are losing standards everywhere around politics and everyone are disappointed. Politicians and the society, they are responsible for us and they need to be put on the higher level of our standards. That's my wish.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a wish list, but I like it. We have to start somewhere. Let's start with the wish. Professor, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I've learned a lot. I'm so happy to have picked your brain. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And that's The Take.
0: This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilve with Oni Wohacha, Dina Kisve, Amy Walters, Nigeen Oliai, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our team's sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Sarah Gancher. We'll be back.